0: Hey everyone, it's Marvin. Uh, this episode of Books and Boba is brought to you by Audible Theater Presents Good Enemy, a world premiere play by Audible Theater emerging playwright Yilang Lu, directed by Obie award winner Che Yu, about a father who learns that closing the door to his past means shutting his daughter out. Good Enemy definitely weaves together the stories of two generations in two countries, the U.S. and China, both during times of sweeping social changes, exploring the power of human connections. This smart, thrilling, and hopeful show features a road trip across America, theatrical flashbacks to 1984 China, action, suspense, secrets, discussions of generational trauma, and the bonding power of TikTok. The show stars OB award winner Francis Zhu, who was previously seen on Broadway in Pacific Overtures as well as soft power at the public. Previews for the show have already begun at the Manetta Lane Theater in New York City, and it will run for a strictly limited five-week engagement through November 27th. Tickets are available now at goodenemyplay.com. And for Books and Boba listeners lucky enough to be in New York at this time, we have a special treat for you. If you use the code BOBA25, uh, that's B-O-B-A 25, all caps, you'll be able to unlock a special discount on your tickets. Uh, Specifically, if you purchase tickets through November 5th, you'll be able to unlock $25 tickets um, using the code, and if you purchase afterwards, you'll unlock a 25% discount. Again, the play is running through November 27th at the Manetta Lane Theater in New York City. You can buy tickets at goodenemyplay.com, and don't forget to use the special Books and Boba discount code BOBA25, all caps. And if you do manage to catch this play, please let us know what you think on our Goodreads forums. Thanks again to Audible Theatre Presents Good Enemy for supporting Books and Boba. And now, on with the show.
1: You're listening to... Whoa! Potluck. Potluck.
0: books and mobile a book club and podcast featuring books by asian and asian american authors my name is marvin yu and
1: i'm rira yu
0: and we are here today to discuss our october 2022 book club pick the hole by Hei young pyong um a psychological thriller about a man who finds himself at the mercy of his mother-in-law um rira happy november
1: Happy November. Yes, we are coming to you a little bit late, folks. Uh, We did have some scheduling issues, and we did do a lot of author interviews. So apologies that we couldn't make it to the end of Spooktober for this discussion.
0: I mean, technically, we're still the week of the end of Spooktober, so um we we're still hitting our intended release a week just a little bit okay yeah
1: just a little bit (laughs) just a
0: little bit but yeah as always when we discuss our book club picks we're going to be discussing the entirety of the book including plot spoilers and twists so if you have not read the book yet uh, we recommend you to go read it first it's a pretty quick read only like about 200 pages or if you listen to audiobook an easy like two and a half hours if you listen at 2x speed um (laughs)
1: uh that's because we're insane
0: (laughs) you know i listen to podcasts at 1x but i listen to my audiobooks at like 1.8 because
1: oh that's funny i listen to our podcast at like 1.5 speed and usually other podcasts it's double speed so i listen to everything (laughs) at double speed
0: (laughs) you see uh i mean it's all on everyone's individual preferences for me i like listening to my podcast As intended. But when I listen to audiobooks, I don't like reading with my ears at a slower pace than I can read with my eyes. So
1: yeah, that's kind of, yeah. (laughs) Well, I read this book through audiobook, and I have to say, I kind of wish that I read it through a physical copy because i heard that there's um, some
0: visual stuff on the video yeah there's some right? visual
1: stuff that happens <laughs> I and know. um and this book actually has a lot of subtle details and um i missed a couple so i had to like look at uh, author interviews to see like if there's anything that I missed. And, I know. I also yeah. listened
0: to this book on audiobook and I read that there were some like visual cues that were on the page and I was like, I mean, the Kindle version is only like 14 bucks. I can probably swing that, but I <laughs> I controlled myself and my spending this one time. But uh, yeah, let's just get into it then. Uh, Rira, do you want to start us off with the book jacket description?
1: All right. Ogi has woken from a coma after causing a devastating car accident that took his wife's life and left him paralyzed and badly disfigured. His caretaker is his mother-in-law, a widow grieving the loss of her only child. Ogi is neglected and left alone in his bed. His world shrinks to the room he lies in and his memories of his troubled relationship with his wife, a sensitive, intelligent woman who found all of her life goals thwarted except for one, cultivating the garden in front of their house. But soon, Ogi notices his mother-in-law in in the abandoned garden, uprooting what his wife had worked so hard to plant and obsessively digging larger and larger holes. When asked, she answers only that she is finishing what her daughter started. Uh, So this book came out in 2016 and was immediately a bestseller. Uh, Haeyong Pyeon is a very uh, well-known author in Korea, and this book was originally a short story for the New Yorker. Um, and it was called Caring for Plants. I'm sure it wasn't originally published in the New Yorker because I think it got translated and then published. But Probably, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's really interesting because I read like maybe like the first half of the short story, like back when it came out, I think. And I was like, oh, this vaguely sounds familiar. (laughs) And it turns out that it was pretty much the same intro for this book.
0: Yeah, I mean, I came in pretty cold. All I knew was the basic boilerplate that we've been giving on our podcast and that it was our Spooktober pick. And I guess, you know, you kept warning me that it's not actually a spooky book. But I kept thinking... It might get spooky any time now because the story is very... It's super unsettling, right? The entire time, everyone's keeping secrets from each other, including the main character. And yeah, I found myself, even listening to the book, feeling like tense throughout the entire thing. Like, it was a really good thriller in that aspect.
1: Yeah, for people who jumped in cold, I guess like from the opening, you'll think that it's a ghost story because the first thing that Ogi sees in the hospital is his dead wife hanging from the ceiling staring into his face. And you're like, oh, it's just like a a ghost story about a vengeful wife haunting him. It's like, no, that's the only time when the ghost shows up.
0: I mean figuratively it might be I mean be figuratively that, right? <laughs> yes
1: but it's not it's not a ghost story it's a thriller and a very claustrophobic one and it doesn't really feature any any like classic horror stuff but it is horror in a sense that it shows the monstrosity of humans
0: yeah it's horror in terms of like misery as a horror film right like a film it's, about
1: Speaking of misery, (laughs) yeah, it gets compared to Stephen King's misery quite a lot.
0: Yeah, it's like misery, but like taken to an even further extreme, right? Because the main character isn't just injured, but like completely disabled.
1: Yeah, yeah. I kind of wish that I was able to read this book in its original language because there's a lot of wordplay. Um, Even just from reading the English version, I was like, oh, I know what this is in Korean like Ogi uh the main character's name it actually means uh refusal to give up like stubbornness and (laughs) like that was like a very um purposeful name that the author like gave him because he is persistently trying to escape his mother-in-law's uh imprisonment and um also, like the title, the whole. in in Korean, it's just called hol and that is like the uh, I guess like the Korean version of hole in pronunciation wise. Like a
0: romanization or no, like reverse reverse romanization, Cor-
1: Koreanization, <laughs> Hangulization. I don't know, but um, so whole can mean like the, the Korean pronunciation of whole. Uh, it also is the prefix for uh, solo, like being alone. Um, it's also referencing widowhood. And of course, you know, holes in one's life, emptiness. That is like a major recurring theme in this book. So and and there's like more wordplay, uh, like there's a paragraph about the word tagi, which is an endearment that Couples use it also means uh oneself and then means darling, and it also means like pottery. So <laughs> there's a lot of wordplay, and I heard that that is heong Pyeon's style of writing. So I was like, oh man, I wish my Korean was better.
0: Yeah, I mean, we just interviewed um Anton her the translator of I Want to Die But I Want to Eat Dapak by um. But say he earlier this week for an interview we'll be releasing next week uh, but we talked all about like how hard it is to translate things like that and I know that specific term you mentioned um, the the jeggy was something that this translator agonized over like how to translate that term to English
1: yeah yeah and I was just like because she used She pretty much, like, briefly explained the different Mm -hmm. definitions in the book. And I was like, oh, in the Korean version, you probably didn't have to, like, explain it. It's just there. And I was like, oh, it must have been so hard (laughs) for her to contextualize that for for Western audiences.
0: Yeah, but that being said, listening to the book, I didn't feel like I was listening to a translation of a foreign language book like i think she did a really good job translating the dread and the tension and the even the language of of the book and this book has a lot to do with language communication what one says and what one doesn't say i don't know about you but i got a lot of like kafka vibes from especially like metamorphosis right like this man wakes up one day in a body that he does not recognize right and everyone also starts seeing him differently and i definitely got some of those those vibes as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. The thing about Haeyoung Pyun is, this is kind of a spoiler, uh, she tends to, she writes a lot of toxic men in her <laughs> books. <laughs> so like when Ogi is talking, like because this is kind of in his perspective, it's written in third person. It's There's a little bit of distance between um, the protagonist and the reader. However, it's written in his perspective. You know, he's kind of being like, He's kind of saying, like, oh, I have, like, a successful career as a college professor in this very obscure field. Like, I was still loving to my wife, who was a failure at everything. He
0: says that a lot. Like, I want to count every time he mentions that his wife is a failure at everything. Because it got, like, I was, are you okay, dude? Like. (laughs) I mean, in the
1: beginning, you just kind of give him the benefit of the doubt that, like, he is, like, a normal ordinary person who was probably a good husband but honestly he is the fucking worst (laughs) and uh just from knowing that Heung pyeon writes toxic korean men in her books this is her fourth novel so i was i was just like oh yeah he's probably not as good as he says he is and also he is the only named character in the book and because this is written in his perspective i'm like well, okay, how self-centered his are you and his
0: mistress?
1: No, I mean they're not real names though. Really? It's yeah. Yeah, he's the only character who's who's named. Um like the names that he gives his friends. It's like S K and I'm oh. like those are just initials. That's not even their names.
0: You know what? I think because I listened to this audiobook, I missed that part. And I just assumed his mistress's name was just Jay, like J-A-E, which can be a Korean name.
1: It's it's definitely a common Korean nickname. Um, but yeah, I was like, he's the only named character. He's so self-centered because he's all he talks about is how great he is. And once he, you know, recovers how he's gonna like get back his tenured position. And I'm like, your wife. Died. Like, why does it seem like you don't care about her at all?
0: He did suck real bad, especially when he's describing why his wife failed a lot of things. And it's because, well, she stood up against the patriarchy and was punished for it. Like, he acknowledged that she was being discriminated against, but he didn't ever, like, he never took an active role in any of that. It was just something that she had to deal with because, you no, know, that's what she chose to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, his wife was put in a very isolated position um, because she you know is having trouble with her career and you know it's pretty ironic that she is unnamed in the book because all she wants is to be (laughs) like to be good at something and to be remembered for it and you don't even get her name at at the very end so um, the isolation that just reminded me of A lot of Korean women, especially like older Korean women, uh, maybe like boomer generation, because so much of the patriarchy has just like suffocated them and they just have to, you know, endure whatever position that they're shoved into, which is usually like working, like being a housewife, only supporting uh, their husband. Them not having their own identity other than the relationships that they have with men. freaking sucks. Uh, <laughs> and you you totally see how, um, you know, she's like completely dependent on Ogi in terms of like income. And that is a struggle that a lot of uh, Korean women used to have. Now there's a lot of Korean women in workplaces to a point where incels and the far right are trying to dismantle the Ministry of Gender Equality in Korea. And they're like, women are taking over our jobs. Uh, they should go to the military. It's a whole thing. But anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, Ogi himself tries to justify it being like, oh, he... I mean, does he justify I mean, he he talks about his tragic upbringing and how like he's overcome that by not thinking about it. Um <laughs> Yeah,
1: I mean, you see a bit of, like, his, like, where he got his toxic masculinity (laughs) from, and it's from his dad, who's like, oh, why are you studying? Why do you want to go to college? Be a man, like, make your own money. And I was just like, okay, well, I feel like this is, this is really weird, because in Korea, education is, like, put on a pedestal, and people judge you by what, what university you go
0: to. (laughs) And wasn't it his wife that made him go to grad school in the first place and, like, responsible for him being where he is now?
1: Yeah, and she, you know, and she was going to get her master's. And, you know, it it, it kind of sounded like she was supporting her husband and therefore, like, her, like, efforts into getting her master's, like, uh, declined. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, that's a common story <laughs> like yeah. how many women have you know pushed the career aspirations of their husbands in you know at, at the cost of their own
0: yeah and the interesting way that this is um and the interest and i like that how in the book all of this is background information right it's stuff that you pick up because you know the main narration is still told through the perspective of Oki, and Oki's world revolves around himself and what he needs and what he wants. And so I think it's definitely a book where you're constantly reading between the lines. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's funny, because like we talked about the visual cues in the novel, and the visual cue that neither Marvin and I <laughs> experienced while reading this was at, at the corner of the page, there is a black hole, and it's like pretty small in the beginning of the book, but it gets larger and larger as you um continue on into the chapters until it like completely swallows the page um, and that's kind of that kind of mirrors what. Uh, what we go through as readers when we're reading about Ogi because everything is from his like one perspective of just like oh my god how tragic he lost his wife and now he's disabled and paralyzed like it's going to be a really hard recovery but then we get more and more information and like our perspective expands as we continue reading the book
0: and he kind of digs himself into a bigger and bigger hole figuratively oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, we start off being super sympathetic and because here's a guy who went through a terrible tragedy, lost his wife, is disfigured, lost control of his body, and is just in a very pitiful state. Um, but the more we learn, the more we have to wonder, like, did he bring this on himself?
1: I mean, regardless, I don't think anyone deserves what he was put through by his mother-in-law. And let me just say... Can you like I think that is just a horror in itself being completely dependent on your in-law and you add that extra layer of oh I killed their only child or at least you know like they died while I survived. It's like oh that's another layer of I don't want to be completely dependent on you.
0: And then you add to the layer that there are marital problems that you eventually find out and that the wife and that... Like we mentioned he had a mistress. The wife probably found out um, because there were all these clues that she knew. and then you have to wonder, does the mom know? And well, now- she
1: does know because she finds notes that uh, her daughter had like left behind because her daughter was like documenting all the things that were going bad in her marriage, and we don't get what she actually wrote in her notes, but we know that her mom found those notes, and she's like, wow, my daughter was really unhappy in this marriage.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, he's wondering that, right? And then he's also wondering, okay, so is all this stuff that she's putting me through, is this revenge? Is this actually one of those Korean revenge stories, right?
1: I mean, we do retribution pretty well in our storytelling.
0: We all know Koreans can hold a grudge.
1: Oh, yeah. We we serve it hot. Um, (laughs) Yeah, with his mother-in-law, you know, she... She's an interesting character because in the, when, she, when he is introduced to her, she's like completely guarded. Like he has no idea what she's thinking. And um, he finds out that she's, you know, half Japanese, mixed race. And he's like, oh, that's why. And immediately writes her off as a foreigner. And anytime when she does something that he doesn't understand, he's like, oh, it's because she's Japanese. And I'm like, wow, what a Korean xenophobic way of thinking. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, that's like a messy... uh,
0: Yeah, it's a messy relationship to begin with. Yeah, because like
1: Japan Japan colonized Korea. So uh, there's a lot of anti-colonial feelings. But you find out that his mother-in-law, she like went through a lot. Uh, She was separated from her birth mother... Um, When she was, like, in middle school uh, because her father, who is Korean, decided to remarry uh, to a Korean woman and she got ripped away. And, yeah, like, uh, it would make sense that she would be so loyal to her only child because, really, like, that's her only family because her husband is also garbage.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How much of that was? I mean, obviously, it's toxic no matter how you look at it. It's a different type of toxic where he's trying to like literally measure dicks with her daughter's new. Was he her husband then, or just they were together? They're right? about.
1: They were about to get married. Yeah,
0: and he's like trying to like prove his manhood against her daughter's new husband throughout the entire this entire like dinner, and yeah, like he. I mean, on one hand you can read that he's being protective of his daughter. But on the other hand, he's kind of, yeah, he was totally a jerk too. And at this point we know, even though Ogi does not admit it, he has an inferiority complex, right?
1: Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like, because he is an orphan, because his mother, uh, his mother's death is presumed to be a suicide, uh, there's a lot of stigma that is attached uh to his i guess like family and it makes sense because in in korea like bloodlines are (laughs) a very big thing so you know when you're dating someone who doesn't have family uh it's just like oh like that's a little bit sketch like we don't know like what kind of family that this person was raised in, uh, what kind of genetic problem that they may have. And it's just like, it's so...
0: Right. It's It's the whole like... It's so
1: toxic. Well,
0: if he's from a good family, why is he an orphan? Or if he's such a good guy, why is he an orphan? He must have done something to deserve it, right? (laughs) Like Yeah, and it's also just
1: like, oh, how did your mom... Like, how did your dad die? Oh, was it like... It was liver cancer? Well, what if your entire family has a history of liver cancer? And I'm like, (laughs) so What? Almost every family has a history of cancer. That's how most people freaking die.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was um, one of many uncomfortable uh, exchanges in this book. Um, I think the most uncomfortable one is actually the one where ogie's mother-in-law invites his coworkers to the house.
1: Oh, yeah. That was, uh, that was really humiliating. Um, yeah, so, like, what happens in the book is she actually... You know, does hire a caretaker and a physical therapist after he is discharged from the
0: Yeah, what the did hospital? you make of the fact that she, in between kind of being sinister, is also super caring and nurturing, right? Like, kind of concerned about Ogi's recovery.
1: But that's only in the beginning, though. That's in the beginning before she uh, kind of discovers the marital problems because gradually she... You know, she gets rid of the caretaker. She says, oh, like, this physical therapist is too expensive. So he's going to not come, like, every day. He's going to come, like, once a week. And that's not how physical therapy works. And, like, as you go further into the book, um, she isolates him completely. No one visits him, not even his physical therapist. Um, there's, like, no way for him to actually recover and get better and he's just counting down the days until he can get his surgery. And even that gets uh, taken away from him because his uh, mother-in-law says, oh, isn't it ironic that, you know, your, your surgeon got into a car accident? <laughs> well, your, uh, your surgery got pushed back like by 12 weeks. And you think that she's lying, but at the same time, it's like plausible enough
0: I was more thinking, did she sabotage the surgeon's car? <laughs> like, no,
1: like, okay, so it could go both ways. It, could, it can actually have happened, and it just sounds, you know, it, it just sounds sinister coming from her. Or um, because you find out that there was a time when um, Ogi's wife, like, when she was trying to get pregnant uh, her uh, for the IVF um, procedure, her original doctor got into an accident and she had to go with a different doctor. Uh and she decided to pretty much like get the procedure done as scheduled, but with a different doctor. But that different doctor turned out to be um a a creep, pretty much. She felt very uncomfortable uh and violated and she was like, I'm never going back. I Rather not have a baby. So Mm. it's it's a situation that happened before. And he was like, oh, is this like revenge? Because that's kind of what happened to his wife. And it's just like a subtle jab of like, yeah, like I know everything that happened.
0: Yeah, I kind of I like that reading better. I like that reading of she is just like, I actually didn't realize that she must have found whatever his wife left behind in the process of his recovery. And that's why she suddenly turned into the evil mother-in-law or not evil, but the avenging mother-in-law, I guess.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing is everybody in this book, they're like, their motives are questionable. They're not good people, but really like what defines a good person? Everybody has like their own skeletons in their closet. And can you really blame the mother in law for feeling vengeful? You can blame her for being a shitty caretaker yeah, I mean, and being you shouldn't, neglectful. You
0: shouldn't abuse disabled people or someone who can't defend themselves. But at the same time, as a as a parent, you you're allowed to feel resentment for having to take care of the guy who who made your daughter's life miserable, I guess. Yeah. I, don't I mean, know. It's we a talk. Very, of, it's a very gray area. I'm not endorsing it, this, book is very, very yeah. uh, this book.
1: is very very gray. This book is very very gray. Actually, it's like Olgi plants the seed in our minds as a reader. Like, oh, his wife tends to exaggerate, and she'll remember events differently. And you're like, well, she's documenting all the things that, um, all the transgressions that happened in her marriage life how much of it is real how much of it is
0: exaggerated especially since we've seen that ogi himself rationalizes everything away in like ways that benefits his point of view right his standing
1: um so we we should probably talk about the treatment of the disabled in this book because that is like where most of the horror lies
0: yeah i mean Obviously were and I are not physically disabled. So and I don't think the author herself is neither, right?
1: No, um, no, she's
0: not. But I think imagining what it feels like to have a body that doesn't listen to you anymore is pretty horrific in itself. And I know it's some people's actual lived experience and um, not to get ahead of ourselves but next month's book club pick will will delve into one of those lived experiences <laughs> but you can really feel like the frustration of not being able to react to the things around you and people who take advantage of that
1: yeah i mean being paralyzed is you know it's a terrible experience but i think a lot of the a lot of the horror comes from other people like how they treat you when you're disabled like uh his original caretaker you know she's you know treats him like a baby uh because you know she changes his catheter and his uh bedpan and you know she like cracks jokes at his expense she's like oh you're not talkative today and it's like okay i guess you're so i guess you think you're so funny by like making jokes about his inability to speak and he's like unable to like protect himself too. So that's like also really shitty. Um, And then you have the fact that like he can write sloppily because, you know, his, uh, I think it's his right hand. I, I don't remember which hand, but it has, it still has some mobility. However, that means of communication is taken away from him. So really, the the horror is unable to stand up for yourself, being seen as invisible or as a child, and being unable to express your thoughts. And those are things that could kind of easily be fixed by other people, but they're not giving him those opportunities.
0: I'm sure... I'm sure there's a metaphor there, right? It's probably, like, the things that he prided himself in, right? The things that he's able, he was able to overcome prejudices of being an orphan or, you know, his ability to take care of himself. That all gets taken away. But somehow his toxic masculinity remains, right? Because he spends the entire <laughs> book saying, I'm still the best. I'm going the like, look, I can move my leg one centimeter. I'm recovering. I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to be... Um, just as great as it used to be. And he spends literally the entire book with that mindset, which on one hand is a sign of his perseverance, but on the other hand is his inability to rely on other people.
1: It's also arrogance, 100%. I mean, he was arrogant before the accident, and he's still arrogant. Um, it's it's funny how like you're mentioning how... You know, he thinks of himself as great because he overcame his, like, orphan background. Um, But he does have an inferiority inferiority, uh, complex, like you mentioned. Uh, The house that he lives in with his wife, it's actually a townhouse with a yard. And when I read that, I was like, damn, like, how much money did you (laughs) spend? Like, Korea is, the land price is so expensive, Everybody lives in apartments, so they're kind of seen as aspiring. Um, And when he invites his colleagues for BBQs in his yard, it's a way of him showing off, being like, look at how well off I am. Oh, by the way, like, this is how much I had to get a loan from, from the bank. But it's still humble bragging. And, you know, he also has tenure. He, like, just because he went into a field that is like not relatively um, well known in Korea, and it's just like, oh, look, I made the smart decision of switching spe- specializations, and now I have this uh, treasured position, which he didn't even get fairly. So,
0: <laughs> I love that part of the humble brag is check out how great my credit is. I can get such a huge loan that I have to pay off the rest of my life.
1: I mean. I'm sure people are wondering why the wife started gardening all of a sudden. Um, Yeah. It might seem like she was suddenly obsessed with it because she does go through obsessions. And I was I just kind of laughed because you find out that he, you know, He Like, he had an affair with Jay. I already had my suspicions, but I was just like, oh. He totally had an affair with one of the colleagues. And then she was like, no more barbecues. And decided to just raise the entire yard for her gardening project.
0: Yeah, I mean, this was like the first of the major twists, right? And it comes about very subtly, right? Because for the first... I want to say probably a third of the book. You assume that he's torn up because he lost his wife. They had this great relationship. They had this great marriage. You know, she defended him against her father. And then there's that one scene where he has access to his phone. And he calls someone. And you realize, I mean, that's your first clue that there's something else going on. Because it's not made explicit who he's calling. But it's obviously he's calling someone who he has a pretty deep relationship with. Like what did you think yeah. about that scene where he picks up the phone and calls like his mistress presumably?
1: Um I I already knew that he like he was a toxic man <laughs> and probably had a mistress. I kind of assumed that he had a mistress especially like when um he there's a there's a line in the book. Let me let me pull it out. Um It was the 40s were ripe for sin. And there were two basic reasons. Either you had too much or you didn't have enough. In other words, the 40s were when you found it easy to do bad things out of power, out of anger, or out of feeling left behind. So I'm like, this is someone who, um, you know, thinks he is in the position of power because he has, like, this uh, position as a tenured professor. I'm like, yeah, why wouldn't he think that he deserves someone more successful better and you kind of see there there's kind of there's a line where like when they're having barbecue that one of his colleagues got drunk and he you know helped them onto the couch and you don't find out till later that that colleague is jay but but like when i read that scene i was like oh it's totally a woman colleague isn't it And his wife totally saw him, like, being gentle with her. That was just kind of, like, my brain being, like, it's, like, a toxic Korean man. Like, what are some toxic things that he can do? Being, like, cheating. And (laughs) I I was just, like, it it, it was just kind of there in front of my face. But for people who, um, I guess weren't reading too much into it because this book is a lot of like reading subtle hints. Well, he also justifies
0: it it that like, oh, we didn't do anything. But it's like, it's not that you didn't do anything, but like the emotional cheating was definitely there, right? His thoughts were definitely not pure at that point.
1: Yeah, and he also cheated twice because he had a relationship with a student. And he he, like justified, not justified, but he like, begged for forgiveness, not to his wife, but to his mistress, being like, oh, it was, like, a one-time thing. They, like, one thing led to another. And I'm like, dude, you're, like, in your 40s and you're, like, coming on to a student. Like, it doesn't matter. That's that's gross.
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, this is also when the mother-in-law starts turning, right? She discovers that he made a call. And the, the horror... In Ogi's mind when he realizes why she would just hit one number, right? One button to make a call. And he's like, oh, she must be redialing. And I wonder what she knows. And that's when the psychological um battle of wits begins.
1: Yeah. Was that was that like before she called the colleagues over?
0: No, yeah, it was before.
1: Okay, so that's why she called like everyone over and um kind of did this humiliating emasculated him
0: in front of his colleagues, right? Because she literally changed his catheter in front of them. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure we all know what catheters are, right? It's yeah. It's a thing you stick in the place where 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 the pee, pee comes out of. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she's like changing his catheter. Like they see his, you know, penis, they see like the urine, and he's just, you know, it's it's like the humiliation of his mother-in-law like doing that with his bare hands is like doing that with her bare hands is is it's a lot. Especially she did it on purpose because she always wears gloves whenever she handles him. But like when she was in front of the company, she was like, I'm gonna use my bare hands to make <laughs> this as mortifying as possible. And you kind of you kind of realize that she she knows more than she lets on because, uh, you know, she's talking about widowhood. And she says, oh, you know what the best thing about being a widow? You can fuck whoever you want. <laughs> and uh, your um, your dead spouse can never cheat on you anymore. And you're like, oh, I okay. wonder what
0: the Korean was for fuck.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. This is why I wish I could read the Korean. Um I heard from an interview with Sora Kim Russell, the translator, that one of the things that she wished that she would be able to go back and kind of add more details is the ivy that grows all over his window. Yeah. Um so like the word in Korean that she uses, uh the word in Korean that that's used to describe the ivy growing is tokada. And Tokada can mean tenacious, which is kind of what she went for in the translation, but it could also mean poisonous. So I'm just like, huh, toxic masculinity (laughs) literally represented in, in, in a plant, pretty much.
0: Yeah, this is making me sad that, like... You know, in translation, some of these double meanings are are lost. And there's no shade to the translator. I'm sure she did the best she could. It's just some things that are hard to translate. Um, But I did like that when the wife made this garden, like his one thing was no climbing vines. She's like, okay, but did it anyways.
1: Oh, but she did it in a sneaky way. (laughs) She planted them at the back of the house. And she's like, oh, he's never going to see it because it's at the back of the house. But that's the room that he ends up in as um, as someone who is paralyzed. And <laughs> slowly, like, his view of the world, his only view of the outside world gets covered out by uh, this ivy. And I heard that haeyoung uh novels, it always features, like, nature being very... Uh, Petty. I guess... Not petty, but hostile uh. to the men in her book, and I wonder if it's um, if it's just like a commentary on like, unlike you know how a lot of the times like nature is uh, related to the mother or like the feminine energy. I'm right. talking and
0: like masculinity is all about taking control of nature, manipulating nature, and like yeah, break, uh, bringing it down, um, bringing it to or um, what's the term. Um, making it bend to your will.
1: Yeah, and here is, you know, the one plant that did not die from his wife's hand that is I mean, know, consuming him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you said in the beginning that this isn't a ghost story, but it's a ghost story. He's being haunted it, by the ghost of his wife.
1: <laughs> I mean, it, it it is terrifying also because... You know, he has nowhere else to go, so he's constantly, like, replaying memories, and he's alone with his thoughts. And I'm like, wow, solitary confinement. That is a yeah. horror that anyone can can imagine. <laughs> and you would
0: think he would reflect on all the things he did wrong. And, like, I mean, he slowly gets to her, right? Like, the, the book ends on what I assume is an epiphany, that he's a piece of shit. But... As the story goes on, he starts unraveling and like kind of breaking his facade of being like the most awesome husband when he starts to think about all the ways that he let his wife down and all the things that they did just couldn't communicate with each other and which culminates in I guess reliving the night of the accident and what actually caused the car crash that killed his wife and left him um, disabled. And you realize that, and you know, he alludes to throughout the book, that had they had made it to their destination safely, his mother-in-law might not even be his mother-in-law anymore, right? Like, this was a relationship that was at its terminal point.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, she wanted a divorce, and he was like, I'm not going to give it to you. And, you know, she tried to, you know, blackmail him, being like, I know what you did to— um not get your position, but to secure your position because you find out that he was a shitty human being who was like, I'm going to purposely slander uh my colleague saying that he had an affair with a student, but that's like but he justifies it by saying, Oh, but it was like kind of true he was coming on to students. So like it's not like I didn't say anything that was untrue. Like he would have gotten like, f- you know, fired or um demoted anyway and it's like but you did that for absolutely no reason he's he literally says sometimes another person's failure is insurance and i was like you did that for absolutely no reason not even for moral (laughs) reasons of like oh he is a predator
0: yeah and it makes you think like how much was he actually also gaslighting his wife right like calling her a failure like, not supporting her dreams and her 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 ambitions as well. And you know, he ends up being that guy anyways, right? And, you know, we learn that the hotel they're heading towards is one of his love hotels.
1: Ugh. Gross. Yeah. But uh, we find out that, you know, his wife kind, kind of, like, uh, has this moment of impulse when he says, oh, I'm not going to give you a divorce. Uh, like, what are you going to do? Like, you can't. You can't live by yourself. I'm the one who's bringing all the money. Like, I am the one who has the house. You have nothing. And she jumps on him and takes control of the steering wheel. And he pries her hands off. And that's when they rear-end a truck. And then they tumble uh, off the guardrail and, on t- like, off the hill. And, you know, it's, like, I guess in his mind, he was like, oh... Like, it's not my fault that she died. It was like, she, it was almost like she was trying to kill herself. <laughs> Which, like, it's oh. like, you missed the entire point, dude. But okay. So, so we, I mean, the title of the book is called The Hole. And the hole in this book is the hole that his mother in law is digging in the garden. And everyone mentions it, being like, yo, it's a really big hole in the garden. Like, <laughs> it, like, what is she trying to plant? I mean, she says that it's going to be a koi pond, but is it really going to be a koi pond? Uh, and she, you know, she says, oh, it's like, I want to have something that is living in, in this in this house because, you know, ev- the garden was full of dead stuff. And I'm like, huh, are you... It's like, are you sure you want to see something living or to watch something dying in that hole?
0: I, yeah, I was... Part of me, I was still in kind of in, like, horror mode. It's like, is she, like, murdering everyone that he's come in contact with and putting them in the hole? Like, is the doctor in there? Is Jay in there? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Why is this hole so big?
1: I, I also like the part when, like, the physical therapist comes over. And, you know, like, he's, like... Ogi, at this point, is in a really bad state because his mother has now, like, completely neglected him, like, failing to feed him for a number of days, uh, change him, and, you know, get rid of his bed sores and all of that. And the physical therapist is like, "Uh, you need to take him to the hospital. What do you mean you have not taken him (laughs) to the hospital? And you're just like, huh, okay. Like, she... Definitely is not taking him to the hospital until he's at a point where there is no recovery. Yeah. Um, And it makes you think, like, oh, like, was she planning to keep him alive but barely alive for the rest of his life? Or was she planning to kill him from the beginning by burying him in the Yeah,
0: maybe she was trying to keep him alive until she finished the hole um cuz there was that one scene in the middle where they mention the surgery and how there's a chance he might be able to recover and he notes that she has a look of terror on her face like what do you mean he'll mm-hmm. get better and that was confusing for a while until you as the reader realize that she already knows
1: i think i think it's interesting that like we we keep saying like oh he <laughs> dug himself into a hole and pretty much like at the end where he has a little bit of mobility and he's like crawling out of the room and he goes to, to into the garden um you know his mother-in-law shows up and you know he he's he notes that like she's not strong enough to drag him back to the room or do anything with him so he tries to escape regardless but she kind of like shuffles him towards uh the hole but he, it's essentially his fault that he fell falls into this hole though so it's just like oh okay like it's kind of funny that he was afraid of this hole that he fell into yeah. himself a situation that could have been avoided if he wasn't also a bad husband and
0: yeah and whatnot. this is following his you know the, the physical therapist comes and he's he's so excited to show him look i can move my leg like a centimeter to the left and then <laughs> The physical therapist just says, oh, no, bro, that's that's nothing. (laughs) That's just that's just being paralyzed, man. And I wonder if this is when his like breakdown begins when he realizes that he really is in the hopeless place. Because the very next chapter is the one where he drags himself out of bed and into the hole. And once he's in that hole is when he finally has this epiphany that maybe he is a piece of shit.
1: I mean, like this book talks about like emptiness and isolation and when he's in that hole he's like oh maybe like all the you know emptiness that my wife felt in her life is because of me
0: yeah maybe i'm the the baddie (laughs)
1: uh, at the ending of the book uh he kind of has a memory of uh his wife reading a story about a man who Uh, almost has like an almost death experience, a near death experience, Uh, a steel beam like falls down like millimeters away from him. And he realizes, oh, wow, I could have died and decides to just leave his life behind, like doesn't bring any belongings, doesn't tell his family. He just leaves. And his wife, who, you know, is just like, what happened? to my husband oh my god like foul play blah 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 she hires a detective and she finds out that he just moved to another city and just started over again and uh ogi's wife is very emotional about this and ogi's like what's wrong it sounds like like i mean he's so lucky he was able to survive and (laughs) you know he's like living his life like why like are you upset because uh Like, you think that I'm going to leave you? I'm never going to leave you. And she starts crying. And to me, as a reader, I'm like, she's not crying because she's afraid that you're going to leave her. In fact, she wants you to leave her so that she can restart her life because she feels like everything that she does is a failure because he constantly tells her that you know, she's unable to amount to anything. So I was like, okay, well, he yeah. finally got it at the end when he's in the hole.
0: Was He says something like, if you die, I'll die with you or something like that.
1: Yeah, something like that.
0: Yeah. And that's how the story comes to a close. Um, what do you think, Rira? Does the mother-in-law fill in that hole with Oki in it?
1: I mean, at this point, yeah, because like he's not going to be able to crawl out of it. I think a sick thing that she might do is that she just leaves him there, and she doesn't, like, bury him. Uh, and then, you know, she, like, goes to the authorities and being like, oh, my God, I, like, left the house for, like, like an hour, and all of a sudden he's here, and he fell, and it was, a, it was an accident. Oh, no. The perfect crime. The perfect crime. <laughs> um, but we did have some comments in our discussion thread um, uh, Nina said, this is one of those books that I'm very glad will be discussed on the podcast. Very dark and hard for me to process what each character's motivations are and their deep lack of empathy.
0: Well, I hope we uh, helped with that. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't
1: I don't know if the mother-in-law – I mean, the mother-in-law definitely was not empathetic to um, I mean, Olgi and his Well, she was know, at first, disabled.
0: and then she became vengeful, and – Obviously, it's presumably because she discovered his shittiness, like discovered that he was a shitty husband to her daughter and needed him to suffer for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, she's not a good person.
0: (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, the lesson taken from this book should not be you should abuse disabled people if they're bad people. I mean, no one deserves to be.
1: No, no one deserves like that, that kind of uh, kind of abuse. Actually, around the time when this book got published, I heard that there was a protest for more accessibility for uh, disabled people in Korean subways. And one of the things that they did uh, was they would put a wheelchair in the middle of the tracks, and you know the train would have to stop. Mm. and it's like and, and it was pretty much them saying, "Oh." You can't take the train. Well, we can't take the train either because you guys refuse to see us as you know also human beings who should be able to have accessibility to uh, to public transportation as well. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it it could be a commentary on how shitty society is <laughs> to disabled people in in Korea, uh, but you know. This is a problem that America has as well. I think it's even more of a bigger problem in America than it is in Korea in terms of accessibility. Um, I, mean, especially both, with right? have, I mean, it could be both,
0: right? I mean, it could be know, both, right? Because you have the example of the mother-in-law who's obviously doing it for revenge. Um, but you also have the son of the caretaker who just abuses Ogi because he's there and he can't do anything about it. Um, so, you do have examples of like the callousness of some, how some people don't see disabled people as human or fully.
1: Yeah. And even when his colleagues show up, like, you know, they have conversations without him because they're like, well, he can't talk back. So, what's the point? <laughs> so, they pretend that he like doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, which is unfortunately a struggle that a lot of uh, disabled people go through. Um, another comment that we got is from Catherine. Uh great pick for October. The imagery of the vines climbing and covering the window was very creepy to me. Yes, same same thing <laughs> uh for me. Uh the story reminded me a bit of the vegetarian, the similarities between the wife characters and how the story is built around a character we get third person view of. Uh what Ogi is put through is obviously terrible, and the humiliation scenes were unsettling to read. Uh he sucks. Parentheses, not justifying what (laughs) happened to him. Close parentheses. But I could understand, parentheses, to a point, close parentheses, how a mother-in-law in in her grief wanted some type of revenge. Uh, Yes, I agree with almost all of your points. Um, I have read The Vegetarian by Hong Kong. And there is definitely a similarity in the wife characters. Uh, You know, they are treated very poorly by the patriarchy and um, they do want to be able to have a space of their own and it kind of manifests manifests through plants. It's really interesting because <laughs> uh, The Vegetarian is written by a different author.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. I love how everyone is of the same mind that like, Ogi sucks. He doesn't deserve what happened to him but he definitely sucks and you can't really... You know, you can't fault the mother-in-law for feeling the way she does. And it really is just, you know, it's, it's motive, means. Um, this whole book essentially is the prequel to a murder mystery, right? The, next, the sequel to the whole will be when the quirky detective comes to solve um, the unearthing of a body in this backyard.
1: Uh, we, can, we can only imagine. <laughs> um, but essentially, this book is about people with power. And people without power and the people with power will always use it to corrupt themselves. Yeah. I mean, we see it with Ogi, um, how he, you know, uses his position uh, to advance his own ambitions. And we see it with uh, his mother in law, who is using her power uh, to keep him disabled and to steal his autonomy pretty much or whatever is left of it yeah uh, but to that do... was our discussion of the whole
0: <laughs> yeah uh, a great picture I'm sorry if we work. didn't
1: like explain a lot of the things that happened in the book like I said I read this through audible <laughs> through through an audio podcast I think so. we did a
0: pretty good job I think we we're pretty thorough I mean I think we did a pretty good job describing the themes I think um, yeah. We did great. We're like Ogi. We're awesome. We're so good I, at I discuss, had to, discussing books.
1: <laughs> like, listen, I, I said this before. Like, there are a lot of subtle details that you, you could totally miss. And a lot of this book is like reading between the lines. Um, since I read this through audiobook, I missed a lot of those yeah. details. So <laughs> I had to resort to uh, looking at interviews and analysis and, you know, like comparing notes and stuff, seeing what I got right, what I got wrong. So I, too, struggled.
0: (laughs) Which, to be fair, is how you should consume media, right? Read the book, have your own takes, compare it to what other people say, you know, develop those thoughts and bring it to this podcast. Um, Yeah, good job us. I think we did great. And that's not being toxic, I hope. (laughs) 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 All right. Well, now that we're in the month of November... Um, What are we reading for Book Club?
1: Uh, Like we mentioned earlier, we are reading The Year of the Tiger, An Activist's Life by Alice Wong. Um, Alice Wong is the founder of Disability Visibility. And this is kind of a memoir, but mostly a collection of essays. It's about her journey in uh, becoming an activist and what it means to be disabled and also a person of color. So a lot of the art that is in the book, they are commissioned art by disabled and Asian American artists. Um, yeah, it's kind of a nice surprise that we're reading this like right after the whole <laughs>
0: Yeah. It's almost as I didn't if mean we for chose. that to
1: happen. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what? Let me
1: just say that was a coincidence. That was not
0: let's just not call what it I had um, planned. Um, Serendipity, synchronicity, let's call it just a, a fortunate occurrence.
1: Well, but this is our first nonfiction in a very long time. I think the last nonfiction we read was a Good Talk by Mira Jacob. And that was a graphic memoir. So um Yeah, yeah we can always use more diversity in <laughs> our
0: reading. All right, we'll be discussing that book at the end of November. So you have until then to get your thoughts in into your Goodreads forums. Uh, as always, we love to include the thoughts of our members in our discussion whenever available. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of Books and Boba and our discussion of The Hole by Haeyoung Kyung. Thank you all for joining us again. Uh, and we hope to see you all next time. Bye, everybody.
1: Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to Books and Boba. This podcast was hosted by Marvin Yue and Ri Rayu, and edited and produced by Marvin Yue. Follow the book club on Twitter and Instagram by going to at Booksandboba and engage with us on Goodreads on our Goodreads group. You can also check out past episodes of the podcast by going to Booksandboba.com and by subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget, you can support Books and Boba and Asian American authors by purchasing books at our bookshop.org account. Check out the link in our show notes and also at Booksandboba.com.